Well, welcome, welcome to a special edition of Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro. I am joined here by my number one reader and sexiest fan, Christy Scalise. Hello, podcast world. So it's not a happy reason that we're doing a special episode here. It's actually a rather sad one. A book world institution, Seattle Mystery Bookshop, is for sale. And if it doesn't sell by the end of September, will likely be closed. What does that mean, closed? Like, are you still going to be selling the building? He's just not going to be selling the business? Uh, he doesn't own the building. They actually lease uh, the space. So if somebody doesn't buy the business uh, and assume the lease, then... Uh, my understanding is that the bookshop will close. I gotcha. You probably are wondering why we're talking about this instead of doing an interview with somebody like uh, the owner of the shop or an employee of the shop. And uh, uh, here's the thumbnail sketch of the sad tale as to why that isn't true. I actually uh, did interview uh, J.B. Dickey, the owner of the establishment, um, and we spoke for about an hour, and uh, he's very intelligent guy very well-spoken guy and he laid out what was going on and why and then we had some technical difficulties with the recording uh, so uh, he graciously agreed to be recorded again uh, and long story short we did it twice more and both times for different reasons had technical issues with it so three times uh, it's not a charm third time was not a charm i tried it with facebook we had problems we had problems with my phone the the app that I used uh, recorded for two and a half minutes and stopped recording and and uh, just a bunch of different things. It was very frustrating. I, got, I, I think that uh, that basically the devil didn't want me to interview J.P. Dickey. So, uh, but I wanted to get this information out to, uh, to the world and talk about it for uh, just a little bit. So uh, that's why Christy and I are here to have a, a conversation about it. So I didn't, I didn't get to talk to him. I obviously didn't get to hear... Your conversation because of the technical problems. So, uh, so what's going on? I mean, how long has he owned this business? Um, well, the shop has been there for 27 years. Uh, it was originally founded by um, a guy named Bill who came from uh, uh, Detroit, I believe, and he he put uh, the uh, the first bookshop there, or the first uh, opened the bookshop there with the idea that he wanted a place where readers could connect with uh, their favorite mystery books their favorite mystery writers where writers could connect with readers where you could as a reader discover uh new you know new new authors that maybe you'd never heard of before and so his motto was uh, if i if i remember right it's something along the lines of a bookshop for for people who know what they want to read and for those that don't have a clue um, and so he owned the shop for about 10 years i believe and then uh decided he, he wanted to retire, and, and JB said that uh, rather than train a new owner, he decided to buy the place, and so he, he did uh, about 17 years ago. Bill, Bill stayed on. In fact, um, I think you met Bill, did you, when we went yeah, there? Yeah, I think I went there when you had a reading. It's a, it was a really cute little cozy place, and I remember they had a lot of recommendations, like, you know, the different people who worked there, and so I thought that was pretty cool because it made me think of that when you said the that it's a place for people who don't know, you know, that there was a lot of help. You could walk around and see what looked interesting to yeah. you, and, and there were recommendations, and so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, in fact, Bill gave me a recommendation on one of the trips that I went over there. He recommended the uh, uh, the Parker novels that uh, 
Donald Westlake wrote under the Richard Stark uh, pseudonym. Those were great books. And then on a subsequent visit, uh, JB, uh, I told him about that, and JB asked me if I'd read the Grofield novels, which are like a subset of the Parker novels uh, featuring Alan Grofield, and I hadn't, and so I tried those as well. So the formula that they were trying to hit upon certainly worked in my case, and uh, both in terms of, of being a reader uh, and then also as, as a writer connecting to readers. Uh, well, you, you were there one of the trips that I took over there so you saw firsthand how it doesn't matter if you're, you know, Stephen King or, or Frank Severo or anything in between. They treat you like gold as an author there. They just really roll out the red carpet. Yes, they were really friendly to me. And I was kind of walking around looking at books. So I was there almost <clears throat> more as a buyer or reader. And they treated me the same way. So that was nice. So what happened? So he took it over and he's had it for about 17 years, you said? Yeah, in fact, business was so good for a while. He told me that they were able to um, go from the uh, the smaller location. Uh, they were offered a pretty good uh, deal on a lease to a bigger location, which they did because it allowed them to bring in more stock and you know and have more varied writers and more more you know titles available. And so things were going really well for for quite a while. Uh, and then around about the mid two thousands things started to change. And my apologies up front to JB, if I get any of these facts wrong, you can fact check me. Uh, but this is my recollection of our conversation. Um, the first thing that, that really kind of started nipping away at the smaller independent bookstores, particularly the, the, the genre bookstores, um, was the giant box stores, like the Barnes and Noble and the Borders and, and these sorts of places. Um, and the problem with those was they they would come in and uh, uh, they would offer titles uh, at a price that, that the independent bookstores couldn't match. Um, kind of the way it works is if, if you had like a $10 book from the publisher, um, they would offer a 40% discount. So the book buy, the bookseller, the bookstore, would pay $6 for it and then sell it for $10. And that $4 profit pays for the lights, it pays for the employees, it pays for... Uh, pays for everything, right? Um, and what Barnes and Noble or, or or Borders or these other stores were able to do is because they dealt in such volume, or because they could afford to take the hit on certain titles, they would offer that book, say for for eight bucks. And so they're not making as much, but they're making it up in volume, and that's not a price that the smaller bookshop can can match. And so that that took a big they took a big hit with that. Um, they also took a big hit when Amazon uh, came on board uh, for the same reason, and uh, also for the additional reason that ebooks then cropped up. And the fact is, you, you, you as a bookstore, you can sell ebook readers. You can you can sell ebooks through your website, uh, but the but the profit margin is so slim that you can't do it profitably, or can't very easily do it profitably. Is is how he explained it to me. That's kind of interesting to me because I don't like ebooks. Like, I mean, I have some and they're nice to have, but I like to have a book that I can hold in my hands. And so it's interesting to me that that, when you brought up Amazon, 
I thought, first of all, of the fact that people just don't want to leave their houses anymore, you know. And, and, so, and that's so the other thing that he online. really that he really pointed out was that you can order your books in your pajamas on a Sunday morning without ever leaving your house, and yeah. it gets two-day delivery and yeah. all of that. And that definitely was a factor that he talked about. Yeah. But, I mean, you can't replace that going into a bookstore and browsing mm-hmm. for sure and being surrounded. And I think there's still a lot of people who love that, love the the book part of it, you know, and so mm-hmm. not just the reading part of it, which to me, the e-reader, you know, it's, I, like I said, I'm just surprised that the e-readers hadn't had an impact on the, the booksellers. I mean, I think it's even had an impact on bigger box stores like you're talking about. So well, borders closed. Yeah. And I don't know what the factors were there. I haven't investigated it, but uh, uh, I, I certainly think the, the rise of e-books had an impact on, on that. Um, you know, one of the things JB said to me in our conversation a few times was that he's been really clear to the to the book reading public that, hey, if you like bookstores like this, if they're important to you, then you have to spend money there or they're just going to go away. And, um, and you know, those words are obviously coming to fruition here if somebody doesn't uh, buy, buy the place. I think it's, it's tricky because it's a, it's a destination. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like... You know, do you want to go out to coffee? Do you want to... I mean, you can make coffee at your house, mm-hmm. but it's sort of a destination type thing now. It's not a necessity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's kind of the trick is how do you make it a destination that people are mm-hmm. willing to, you know, get in their cars, meet friends there. And I, and that's something else. Those big... The bigger places, you know, a lot of them have coffee shops. And yeah. so, you know, they've integrated that idea too. And so I can see that as a small bookstore owner... I mean, it, obviously, you have to sell books. That's your whole goal. And if you don't have sort of an internet presence or another way to order books, you ha- people need to come in. You need the yeah. foot traffic. Um, it's it's tricky because it's you know it's most people. Hey, you want to meet for a drink? You want to meet for coffee? But they don't say, Hey, you want to meet and pick out books together? You know and yeah, and, and you know I don't know what else they could have done short of opening a coffee stand inside the store or something. I mean, uh, they do have an internet presence. You can order through uh, the Seattle Mystery Bookshop online. I I, I ordered the first uh, Nick Mason book and uh, Steve Hamilton wrote. Uh, I ordered a signed copy from them via going onto their website and you know doing it. Um, and uh, you know they've got staff there that are. You know, they're not just there because they need a job by any stretch. Oh, they're man, there they're because passionate. They, yeah, they know they about are, yeah. yeah, and that's such a huge element. And yeah. so you can't get that from Amazon or, or whatever. And I'm not down talking Amazon as a consumer. I mean, uh, you know, it has its it has its its positive points for sure. I'd be a hypocrite to say otherwise for a few reasons. Yeah. But you can't replace that passion, like you said. That person coming, you know, you go in and you're like. Uh, you know, I really like the Parker novels, but I've read them all. And I'm looking for something new. And they can point you in a direction and go, you know, here's three possibilities that you might look at. And, they're, and then they're excited about it. I mean, uh, Fran and Amber work there. And I, I particularly had a lot of interaction with Fran. And, I mean, she knows her stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, yeah, it's just it's difficult to replace. So they've had the, the books available. They've had the great staff. They've, they've, they have a they've, great atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, they, you know, and there are some problems with Seattle that are Seattle specific, uh, uh, you know, traffic and parking issues, mm-hmm. and and some some local projects that are going on in the presence of uh, the ballparks and and so forth that have had an impact. Um, but uh, from what JB said, a lot of the issues that they're dealing with are 
not unique to the Seattle Mystery Bookshop. They're pretty universal. Um, and so, you know, the box stores took a, took a, a, a kind of put the pinch on them. Amazon certainly did. Um, the, the, the advent of eBooks took, you know, carved out a little bit uh, as well. Um, and the other thing that JB brought up that I hadn't considered when I was thinking about why this might have happened um, is that uh, he described a generational shift that's occurring. And, and what he was talking about is that that uh, older generation that were uh, big readers, big purveyors of hard copy books, um, they're all retiring now. And so they're not wanting to go and buy more books. They're actually looking to unload the books that they've accumulated their whole life. And, um, uh, and so that, that's an element. And so if you throw all these elements into the, into the mix at the same time, you can see where a, a bookstore owner like, uh, like JB is, is in a difficult, difficult place. It's sad because they're magical. I always dreamed of owning a bookstore, but just because I just wanted to go hang out there all day long, <laughs> you know, just go hang out in my bookstore. <laughs> kind of like an alcoholic one to open books. a bar, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just I never really thought about the fact that you have to be profitable in order to, you know, for me, it's just like, I'm just going to put all my money into, shoot, at one time we had enough books to probably open a bookstore. Yeah, we probably could have. Uh, you know, we would have been faced with these same these same issues. Yeah, I mean, the reason that I wanted to interview him and the reason that you and I are having this conversation is just because, you know, I do think that that it would be a tremendous loss for a bookshop like this to to, to not be there anymore. I mean, uh, as a reader, I love that that atmosphere. I love that smell of the place. I love the the interaction with people like Fran and Amber. Um, I love the the deep knowledge that they all have that that, uh, that you can draw upon. And as a writer, I mean, it it's just a great when you go to a bookstore like this. It's a great atmosphere because everybody at this when they come into the Seattle Mystery Bookshop, they're there because they want to read mystery. <laughs> you know, uh, they didn't you know stumble in by accident for the most part. And so you're you you as a writer, you get to meet. Not only readers who are excited about you know reading, but about reading the genre that you write in, and so I mean I had some great experiences there in the times that I, that I was able to go over, uh, and so I, I just it, it would be a really sad day if they if they have to close their doors. So let's say somebody's listening to this podcast that can do something about it. I mean obviously people need to support their their small local bookstores, and we have one here in Redmond and. I know they had an author come in and speak, and we went, you know, to that. And yeah, um, what can people do? How, you know, how can we help out? What? I'm not ready to retire, so we can buy it <laughs> and I can go live at the bookstore. But if you go to Seattle Mystery Book, uh, SeattleMystery.com, the very top, it's got the address on Cherry Street in Seattle, and it's got the phone number and the email. So anyone who's interested uh, can can contact JB directly. I hope somebody uh, does. You know, he painted a real dire picture of how they ended up where they're at when we were talking, and and I pointed that out to him, and I said, why would somebody, you know, want to buy the place? And he said, well, actually, you know, um, there there are some positives that are happening. He said that uh, uh, the Booksellers Association of uh, the American Booksellers Association reported that more uh, bookstores are opening every year, independent bookstores, and that this year or last year, I can't remember when he said but uh more 
independent bookstores opened, then closed. So the independent bookstore uh, phenomenon is gaining ground rather than, than, than losing it. That doesn't surprise me. I think people are starting to see the impact that all of our electronics are having on us, and we're starting to try to simplify again. So the idea of going to purchase a book and be in that atmosphere, I think, is probably attractive. You know, mm-hmm. and then I think people are bringing their kids into that idea too. Mm-hmm. You know, let's go to the bookstore and and look around. So yeah, I certainly don't have anything against eBooks. Uh, I, as a writer, a lot of my sales are, are eBooks, and uh, and and so I'm you know certainly a supporter of that medium. But everything has its place. You know, sometimes you want to listen to music, sometimes you want to watch a movie, sometimes you want to go for a walk, and I think that there's a place for everything there. And while I think that ebooks are here to stay and that that paper uh has uh is going to have a diminished role from where it once stood uh i, I think they're gonna there's gonna be some equilibrium that's going to be established and and the reason for that is i don't think people are ever going to reach a point at least not for many generations that they don't want to hold a book in their hands and and and, and read it that way that they don't want to feel the texture that they don't want that tactile experience and to do that, you know, uh, a lot of people like the experience of getting that book by going to a bookstore. And so... Uh, so you know. said that it was not closing, or that it was closing, but up here it says that it's, we're not closing. Uh, not yet. <laughs> if they don't sell it, they'll have to close. Oh, okay. uh, he told me that they... Um, well, they did a they did a, a GoFundMe um, a while back, and uh, people supported it, and to the... To the the point that uh, they were able to pay off some bills and and set some money aside and so they're covered through the end of September um, and I don't know what their receipts have been like in August uh, when I talked to him in early August you know he was saying that 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 would have an impact so so go buy um, books people I mean you go I know all sorts of people who travel from Spokane to go to Ikea in Seattle or to, to go buy, to a Seahawks game or a Rams yeah, game or it's something. Like to go buy books Go. So stop in and buy a couple and the, the cool thing that you can that in addition to everything we've already talked about they they a lot of authors you know both you know c-list authors and all the way up to a-list authors they stop in in seattle uh if they're mystery authors seattle mystery bookshop is a destination and so they've got signed copies they from do. pretty much a any lot. yeah any yeah. mystery author you want uh and so you know, and, and they don't, it's not like they charge a bunch more because it's signed. Right. So, it, you know, you could get the same book, but you end up getting a signed copy, and that's kind of cool. Super cool. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, JB said, if you if you want, you know, specialty shops like this, then you have to support them. So uh, if you're listening and you're a book buyer, this is the place to get your books. If you're a business person and you want to invest or you want to, you know, buy the place, SeattleMysteryBookshop.com or SeattleMystery.com, sorry. Uh, give JB a call, and and uh, they've had some inquiries, but uh, there's no, there's there's no we're sold on the website here. So I'm assuming that they're still open to uh, further inquiries. Well, I hope it works out. It would be great to see it saved, and it's in a great local location there too. We found parking really easy when we went. I remember we had to walk like a block. Yeah, we got lucky, I think. But, uh, you know, they're in a really cool location. I, you know, I don't know if, if they had their druthers, if they pick a different location. I mean, they're cool. It, it has its advantages and its disadvantages. Uh, 
certainly just off of Pioneer Square there, you, you know, there's, there's history, a real strong Seattle identity to their location. The whole reason for this podcast was to get the word out. And so if you're listening, help get the word out. Uh, I, I really am pulling for you, JB and Fran and Amber and the city of Seattle, because, you know, Seattle is a city with a lot of character. Um, it's, it's not a very homogenous city. It's very chock full of character. And, and to lose something that I think, at least in my mind, that I identify very strongly with the city, I think that would be sad. I agree. All right. Well, that is our special edition of uh, Wrong Place, Right Crime uh, regarding the Seattle Mystery Bookshop being for sale and potentially closing. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll be back uh, in about a week or so with an interview with Larry Kelter. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.